are the voyages of the starship Therapies. Its continuing mission to explore strange inner worlds, to seek out new insights and new realizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Spock, I said nobody gets off this bridge without singing the blues. Sir, this is a bridge too far. Ha! Bridge pun! But seriously, computer, run blues club simulation. I can't take this. Seriously, stop. Why are you like this? I'm gonna blow my top. I've got the Vulcan logic blues. Yes! Oh, Lord. What has brought me here? <laughs> what? Were you going somewhere? I, I honestly don't remember, sir. I don't remember anything before the last blues riff. Oh, okay. Why don't we start the show and see if we can get things figured out? All right, sir. Hello, everyone. I'm Justine Mastin, LMFT, Yogini, writer, researcher, and captain of this particular ship. Welcome aboard. And I'm Larissa Garski, licensed marriage and family therapist, writer, researcher, Spockian first officer, and I guess now a blues singer. Just a reminder to the listeners at home that just because we are therapists does not mean that we are your therapists. Unless, of course, we are your therapists. This podcast is for the purposes of education and humor and is not intended to replace seeing your own therapist. Spock, are you okay? Yes, sir. I just feel like I've been trying to get somewhere, and I just can't seem to get there. Hmm. We have all been there. There's some goal we must achieve, but the trials and tribulations keep getting in the way. It is the hero's journey, after all. No, sir. I mean I've been trying to get to my ready room, but you keep stopping me. Oh, well, to be fair, you're the one who suggested that we watch not one, but two movies for this week's ep. I had suggested Adventures in Babysitting, and then you said... I like planes, trains, and automobiles. As modes of transportation? Or a film? Well, come to think of it, I like most of those things. Earth and transport is so quaint. But I did mean the film. I don't care for it. Seriously? I thought you loved all of the creations of one John Hughes. Well, not that one. Why are you like this? <laughs> awesome. Just born this way. Sure, you and Lady Gaga. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean more specifically, why is it that the only 80s film that I genuinely enjoy, you hate <laughs> What is that about for you? Um, okay, so I didn't realize it was the only 80s film that you love. Like, I thought that you liked it. I didn't know there was a love associated here. And, and Oh, no. I mean, like, back on Vulcan, we would watch this film when I was a youngling every Earth and Thanksgiving. Because, as you know, my mother is an Earthling. Um, yes. Uh, and you rewatched this. 
every single year for Thanksgiving. I can pretty much no, at I this mean, point I quote mean, like, like long passages. <laughs> I mean, you just rewatched it. Oh, I mean, like, podcast. yeah, I, I, I did. I did. Sure. Um, but <laughs> I, I didn't really have to, you know, because I've watched it so <laughs> many times. And and this last watch through, you were like, mm, holds up. Yeah. <laughs> we're just we're just going to have to uh we're just going to have to disagree on this one. I uh oh, where to start? So generally speaking, I I don't want to say that I dislike comedies of error because clearly I like Adventures in Babysitting and that's entirely a comedy of error. Yeah, it's um, entirely a comedy of errors. But somehow they're less jarring. Like, uh, this film incorporates all the things that get my fucking goat mm. into one film. Uh, okay, we, we, didn't, we didn't plan well for travel. Um... <laughs> you mean because he leaves his gloves in the office? I mean, because he's in a meeting up until he's supposed to get the six o'clock plane. Even in... Well, he wasn't supposed to be in that meeting. He's in the meeting because the head of marketing cannot make up his mind. This was not Steve Martin's fault. The meeting was probably supposed to be done at like, you know, three. Uh, all right. And he couldn't have called the airline and pushed his plane back. It seemed like his buddy was headed to the eight o'clock plane. Yeah, because it seems like his buddy had, like, a better understanding of, like, the realities of working with this, <laughs> this particular upper-level manager. And Steve Martin just, like, really wanted to get home to be with his family. <laughs> so he he did, like, aspirational planning, which, yes, of course, is a big Vulcan no-no. <laughs> oh, it just, okay, getting late to the airport, that upsets me on a visceral level. Sure. And then... Um, this is pre-2001 travel where you could just fucking go to the airport. So mm -hmm. when, you know, he gets there, his flight's delayed. He's like, phew, we've all been there. Right. And then, okay, what plane reroutes to Kansas City, Missouri? Planes do that all the time. <laughs> From New York? I mean... That is not the closest airport. Well, no, it's not the closest airport. But, I mean, <laughs> this is a thing that happens. Planes get rerouted to, like, random, illogical places. Surely you've met people who've told you horror stories about, like, and then one time I ended up in Denver. Yes, and I don't like it. So... So, so we pause. Is it, is it not that you, like, have an issue with the story itself? Is it more that its setup is is anxiety provoking for you yes oh okay okay i don't like it i don't like it i don't like that mm. we're we're stuck at airports and we're stuck at train stations and we're just stuck it does it causes a lot of anxiety right and after the initial problem i was like rent a car rent a car Right now, rent a car. Why are we getting on a train? This can only go badly. You need to take this into your own hands. 
Well, here's the thing. If America had invested in its infrastructure, like all of Europe did, getting on a train <laughs> would have been a pure, a totally logical thing to do. You could sit back, read a book, relax. However, mm -hmm. I appreciate that during this time period, Earth had not yet fully and globally invested in its infrastructure. So perhaps renting a car would have been the wiser decision. Mm -hmm. And Steve Martin, his character, uh, was it Neil? Neil, Neil Page. Neil mm -hmm. Page. Not to be confused <laughs> with Karen Page. Uh, very different story. Very different story. Very different hair. How, how wound he is. Mm, he is. I know. He's just so anxious. He's so tense. Oh, God. It's like... Oh, he's like been under the boot of late stage capitalism. Just uh, ground him down. And that was in 1987. Really? Um. <laughs> he, could, he could feel it. He could feel the tides turning. <laughs> there was no way he was going to like be able to pay off that mortgage, that house that he had in probably Oak Park, let alone like heat and cool it and all that stuff. No. But the... Just the way that he's wound, he is my mm -hmm. nightmare travel partner, mm -hmm. and I feel like I am forced to be traveling with him because he is our hero. You know, I feel like we might really be getting to something here, because when I think about, like, one Del Griffith and the other Neil Page, <laughs> it is occurring to me that, like, they are, in some ways, the biz like the Bizarro Universe versions of you and I. <laughs> Like, Neil Page is, is so extremely, I don't know, like, not just chill and relaxed, but... Uh, uh, Del Griffith? Yeah, sorry, no. Back that yeah. up. Del Griffith. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, Del is... Mm, he wants to be friendly. And you believe at one point in life he was. And charming, too, probably at some point, but he's not anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Wait, are are we talking about me not being charming? Because I don't, I don't, I no longer like this conversation. No, no, no. I mean, this is why I was saying it's like the Bizarro Universe version of us. Okay. And like Neil Page <laughs> is wound so tightly. <laughs> He's just so anxious. He's wanted to get off the bridge for so long. His, you know, metaphorical bridge. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I. Okay. So I. I think this is all valid. I think this speaks more to my feelings than it mm -hmm. does to what John Hughes created. Sure. Um, because, like I said, I, I love Adventures in Babysitting, which we're going to get to in a minute, which is basically the same story. We're trying to get somewhere and we can't get there. Right. It's all about, like, all of this is like uh, meditations on being stuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Meditations on being stuck. I love that. Mm-hmm. Which, spoiler oh. alert... Therapists hate being stuck as much as their clients do. Oh, you just like whipped back the curtain and you were like, Wizard of Oz? Nope, <laughs> just some dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like legit, it's hard. Mm -hmm. And this, now that we're talking about it more, yes, I don't like, I don't like the stuckness of planes trains and automobiles adventures in babysitting does not have the same stuckness they are constantly moving they're going from one misadventure to the next misadventure to the next misadventure you literally just described planes trains automobiles no 
Yes. There's so much stuckness. No, the uh, hotel, motel, holiday, in scenes are the fucking worst. I hate them. <laughs> I really feel like we're peeling back the curtain for you in this episode, and I'm really getting a <laughs> sense of, like, what are the things in life that really bother you? <laughs> And apparently one of those things is ending up in any type of motel situation that you did not plan to be in. Yes, that is mm -hmm. super accurate. And, and then there's like, and then there's all the homophobia we get. I mean, it's, it's not that there's a lot of it. It's that it is very big when it happens. They, uh, the two men find they've been snuggling and there's that thing with the hand mm -hmm. in the balls and I remember that upset me. Between two pillows. Because, yeah, just because it was upsetting. Um, because we... Look, if you are a human being with a penis and testicles, you know what it feels like to have your hand there. And if you are another human who also has a penis and testicles, you would know that your hand was not between two pillows. Dude, they were groggy. <laughs> do you arise fully hatched and formed in the morning i think you are just picking at tiny details about this film because something about it just sticks in your craw mm. Mm. sticks sticks i feel so stuck. stuck you feel stuck <laughs> um which is very much kind of the theme of of today's podcast what do you do mm -hmm when you feel stuck and specifically because we are coming up on the winter holidays right thanksgiving is right around the corner what do you do when you feel stuck with others mm. apparently i freak out and am no longer my best self according to my reaction to this film i mean unless your babysitter is elizabeth shoe-esque <laughs> a lot of adventures in babysitting and then your heart is full of hope <laughs> my heart is full of hope that you will make it home with both of your roller skates mm -hmm. ah. <laughs> uh, yeah I think we're narrowing in on, mm -hmm. on what it is um, and it's, it's that it's just the two of them so it feels claustrophobic yeah, it's just the two of them stuck together, having this what I do not care for, uh, not banty repartee, and um, there, there's no other people around adding flavor. And like, sure, we get the secretary from Ferris Bueller as the, um, as the airline clerk. I liked that. The woman who can't cook but makes the crescent rolls. Uh... No, that's her. I, I mean, sorry, I was like adding color to her. Like, yes, she's the secretary in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. But in this, she's the airline person who oh. is just talking to, I think, her sister on the phone. And then she's like, you know, I can't cook. Gobble, gobble. Uh, See, I saw this <laughs> film a lot. Yeah, yeah. You are picking up nuances <laughs> that were lost to me. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, but there's, there's, no, there's, there's no additional people coming in and and offering their thoughts like the way i don't know a therapist might pop in and be like hello gentlemen i can't help but see you having a situation no i mean i think you're right i think that this film kind of it lives or dies based on 
whether or not you are attracted to their dynamic because they are trying to do i mean this is like an odd couple type thing mm -hmm. it's very sort of which, like uh, which i also don't like i don't like it either walter Matthau and i are not close personal friends um nor will we ever be um <laughs> For reasons I just, I don't quite understand, but it just, it wasn't going to work out. I respect him as a human and all of that, but it, we weren't meant to align parasocially or IRL-y. Um, but anyway, so yeah, but it's like, it's like a Holmes and Watson type situation. And uh, you, yeah, you have to like the dynamic between those two. Mm -hmm. And you did not. I didn't. Mm -mm. No. No, I think that the, I would have felt that way about Adventures in Babysitting if it had been the two kids. I'm forgetting the name, but like the ginger haired best friend who's Darryl. such a tool. Daryl, right. Mm -hmm. And then what is it? Is it Brad? Who's the Brad. kid? Mm -hmm. Brad's who is in love with Elizabeth Shue. If it had just been Daryl and Brad, I could not have tolerated that film. Right, because they are just terrible. Mm -hmm. But you get, and we are organically transitioning over into Adventures in Babysitting. I can already feel myself able to breathe more freely. Uh, like I'm not so trapped in a small box. <laughs> I just like want to take a deep dive and like genogram your family history and be like, who who do these two people map to? Because it's so <laughs> visceral for you. You just can't stand them. I just can't stand them. Yeah. Um, I don't think we're going to do a genogram, which no. folks at home, um, if you are not familiar, a genogram is a fancy word for a therapy family tree mm -hmm. where your uh, marriage and or family therapist gets out a giant piece of paper and draws a bunch of circles and squares. It's got a gender binary. Um, but it sure does. You can use whatever shape you actually mm -hmm. want. And Sometimes I like to like let people pick their polygon. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> I always, I always say, I'm like, okay, so the way this was made was, uh, women are circles, men are squares. How do you feel about that? And I've definitely had people be like, I am a triangle. I'm like, cool, you are a triangle. Mm -hmm. um. <laughs> I've had people be like, I'm a rhombus, and I'm like. Yes, what is I'm, a rhombus? I'm glad I paid attention to geometry on Vulcan so I can draw a rhombus. I would be SOL. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm a polyhedron. That one would definitely be harder. I would say, you sure are. Draw that. <laughs> um, anywho. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Moving over into the adventures of babysitting. Yes, it would be a terrible film if it was just Daryl and Brad. Yes. I mean, the, the scenes with them are intolerable. They're quite poor. You know, when it's yes. just the two of them being like, what, uh, why did you bring over a, a Playboy? Yeah, Playboy You're really features in this film heavily. in a way that i was not anticipating heavily like it's there and then i i thought like well we've now discarded this prop and it's done and then like 20 minutes later they got a new playboy and it's <laughs> never explained why chris parker looks like the playboy centerfold nope it's just you just you never find that out nope that that's that's just a mystery for the ages 
Uh, <laughs> I suppose if we wanted to go meta, maybe it was what Chris Columbus's commentary on the ways that teenage boys fetishize both centerfold models and their older babysitters. Oh, I like that. But you I don't Chris know Columbus I, a lot of credit. I was going to say, I don't think I could give Chris that much credit, though. <laughs> I could give myself that much credit and I will. But I do. I, I like that. Uh, I like that lens mm-hmm. that also, hey, here's the thing Adventures of Babysitting has women. At least one. I mean, and, there's, there's and Neil Page's wife and his daughter. Do they have any lines? Yeah, sure they do. Do they say anything more than, when are you coming home, Dad? Not a lot beyond that, no. So it doesn't pass the Bechtel. And his wife talks about how she's going to wait up for him. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Marty Page is at... Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, no, Marty Page has that uh, some sort of school play production. And she walks to the microphone and she's like, I'm Marty Page. And this year I'm grateful that my dad's coming home. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Bechtel failed! Yes, and this would be the first 80s film that failed the Bechtel <laughs> test. Mm-hmm. It sure would. And the only one that you don't like. <laughs> Anyway, bringing us all the way back around, um, part of what can be helpful for you to do when you are feeling stuck is genuinely to look around you. Because if there's anything that stuckness allows us, it is the real opportunity to get our bearings and really start to observe where we're at. And especially if we're feeling distressed, being stuck can amplify that distress, but pausing and looking around can help us go deeper and to understand where is this this distress coming from. And this is helpful because it can offer a pathway, a journey forward, if you will, to less distress, right? To figuring out what do you need to help yourself calm down or ground, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when when I think about this, I think about... Um, the, I'm I'm about to use God language. I I know Ooh. I see Is your it because face. it's we're recording right now during a major Jewish holiday. Oh, I hadn't thought of that, but I don't think so. Okay. Uh, this this is a common phrase in the AA community: um, "Let go and let God." Oh, which I I am inshallah, not... if you will. As <laughs> um that's it's a it's a muslim phrase that's like giving it up to allah in allah's hands if allah wills it yes basically yeah when i think about people being stuck um i think about when i was in grad school i went and did a workshop on equine therapy which is there i think i also i think i also did that workshop did you bring your dog um so this was this is my first grad school okay never mind then i wasn't there because you You were alone. <laughs> this was pre-Spock. It was a very dark time for you. It was a very dark time. Um, and the the idea was you're trying to convince this animal to do what you want it to do. But it wants to do what it wants to do. Mm-hmm. And it's much bigger than you. So I have this very distinct memory of, you know, we were in these little groups, each with a horse, trying to get it to do a whole course 
a horse, Wait, of were, course. Were you yourself, like, paired with a horse? I, me and a group of people were paired with a horse. Wow. You you know I used to ride horses when I was a kid, right? No, I did not know this. <laughs> See, look at all the things that I'm learning because we're feeling stuck. <laughs> right? This information would not have appeared. Mm-mm. No? No. no, you weren't just going to randomly tell me one day about your history with horses. We had to get stuck right here between Steve Martin and Adventures in Babysitting. <laughs> and then I was like, disclosure, disclosure. Uh, but I, I hadn't been on a horse in 20 years at that point, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're we're trying to convince this horse to do the course, of course. Um <laughs> And the horse is not having it. Um, And the lesson that we're learning is we cannot make the horse do things the horse doesn't want to do. Sure. So we need to accept that and find some space of self-compassion and understanding and see if we can see what the horse wants to do. Mm. And... See if we can bond with the horse, if we can induce some change in the horse at all. Or if we are the ones who need to make the change and just decide, you know what, this horse isn't going on the course, of course. <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> Listeners, I know that you obviously can't see me right now, um, but I've been working oh so very hard not to just like bust out into laughter during uh, the captain's wonderful spiel there. Because the rhyming with the horse was, it was just, it was a lot for me to try and hold on. <laughs> but I mean, you make a great point that like sometimes rather than getting frustrated with the horse or Steve Martin or um, Daryl from Adventures in Babysitting, it can be helpful to pause and try to think about it from alternate perspectives, alternate points of view. Mm-hmm. Um, because part of what happens when we do that is it can increase the opportunity for compassion. You know, like when I, when Daryl came on the scene, full disclosure, when I was watching Adventures in Babysitting, I noped so hard. I was like, absolutely not. I cannot do this. I was enjoying this film because I watched it right after Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. And as those of you all know, that's a very hard film to watch. <laughs> so I was like, yes, this is light. This is fun. Look at all of this playfulness. And then Daryl walks on the screen and I was like, I cannot with this with this child. He needs to get out. I've had a hard <laughs> evening with all of the Glen Garys. I need some nice things. <laughs> and yet, in part because I could not get out of watching Adventures in Babysitting, I needed to soldier on. Um and I will, I probably would have always felt that way, but particularly in light of the fact that I had forced the captain to watch planes, trains, and automobiles, it felt even more important to me to continue forth with adventures. And so I did. I tried to be like, all right, well, maybe Daryl won't be involved. Maybe he'll have a quick cameo and he'll leave. No. Spoilers. He gets <laughs> in the car. Um, and at that point, I was like, all right, I'm going to need to find a way to make a kind of peace, some radical acceptance, if you will, towards <laughs> Daryl. I don't have to like him, but I need to find a way to accept that he's going to be in this film. Mm-hmm. And how how can I do that? How can I accept his presence? 
Radical Daryl acceptance. Mm-hmm. Rad Daryl acceptance. Well done. And you can use Rad Daryl acceptance. <laughs> um, when you are at perhaps your own family gathering for Thanksgiving. Hmm? Perhaps you are there and you find yourself seated next to an uncle that you really don't enjoy. He is the Neil Page of your life. Mm-hmm. And you think, wow, I wish that he had decided not to come, but he did. There he is, standing right next to the candied yams. <laughs> I love How, candied yams. Right. Exactly. You don't want to walk away. You want to get those candied yams. How do you radically accept that there is your uncle and find a way to make some sort of small talk so that you can also get the candied yams? Because you're you're certainly you're like you're going to be very sure that your uncle doesn't deserve all those yams, and he'll probably take them if left to his own devices. Mm. Yeah. So find a way to engage Uncle Shmuel <laughs> in some sort of conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, maybe ask about something you know that he likes. Right, like the yams. They're right there. <laughs> you clearly both like them. You clearly do. <laughs> And if uh, if you have other people at this event who mm-hmm. you can lean upon, that's a great opportunity. Well, and this gets back to your great point of part of why the Neil Page, Del Griffith buddy comedy was so frustrating for you is that it's really just them. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Adventures in Babysitting, even though I didn't like Daryl, there were so many other characters for me to parasocially bond with. Mm-hmm. And that, it, I mean, that it definitely helped. Well, yeah, I mean, Sarah and her literal parasocial bond with Thor. The, I, that made me so happy when you see her in her room and it's all mm-hmm. Thor. And mm-hmm. then she meets Thor when they go to get the tire. <laughs> Who is a baby Vincent D'Onofrio? Yeah. Baby Vincent D'Onofrio. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, God. When I... F- you know, I didn't know who he, like, well, he wasn't anybody when I saw this initially, right? No, no. And then years, years, years later, I rewatched it and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> Vince, like, spoiler alert, folks, if you have not seen Adventure in Babysitting, I mean, one, I genuinely recommend it, which I don't say a lot on here um, <laughs> when it comes to 80s films, but I do genuinely recommend Adventures in Babysitting. And also, like, you will learn when you see him. Vincent, young Vincent was ripped. He was. He looked real good. (laughs) Like, I think he could have gone toe-to-toe with Chris Hemsworth. I think that is the butchest I have ever seen him in a role. Yeah, that's fair. He's all jeans and a a tank top, wielding a hammer of some kind. Sure. Hence why he looked like Thor. And he had, like, uh, he, long... His wig is terrible. Yeah. It's not good. It's not good. <laughs> they they had no more budget. No. No. Uh, everything else worked, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so there's, there are all these other characters, and then we've got a parasocial relationship, and I guess we could also say that there's a parasocial relationship between all of these boys and Miss March... Sure, sure. Which is why and, yeah. perhaps they kept chatting her up 
or chatting up babysitter who looked like Miss March. I feel like I know you. Mm-hmm. But you, but you don't. <laughs> because here's the thing. Sometimes fandom attachments, I don't know, I would say most of the time, fandom attachments, which if you listen to the pod, you know, are just our term for parasocial relationships because it sounds more fun. Um, fandom <laughs> attachments, they often, they belong on the page, the screen, the chat to, room. Right, to make, to help us make sense of our lives. Mm-hmm. Not to be overly involved with the celebrity themselves. Right, because, I mean, it really seemed like uh, Daryl had a very close personal relationship with Miss March <laughs> that he definitely did not have with Chris Parker. Mm-hmm. And so when he would treat her as if she was Miss March, it felt icky and creepy because it was acting as if there was an intimacy there in real life that just didn't exist. It wasn't authentic to their in real life person to person dynamic. And even if Chris had been Miss March, that would still have been true. Yes. Yes. <laughs> A thousand times yes. <laughs> Yes. Uh, but so back to our imaginary Thanksgiving dinner. Mm. If there are people you can lean on, people you can, you know, right, bring, bring it. Like, can, like, can you bring a friend? Can mm-hmm. you bring a friend to a family gathering? Because especially with Thanksgiving, there's so much food that, like, most of the time, whoever is hosting, they'll be like, "Yeah, sure." Mm-hmm. We have enough oh, candied yeah. yams. Thanksgiving is a holiday that really is a, for many folks, a more the merrier holiday, Mm -hmm. as opposed to something like Christmas, which for many folks who celebrate that holiday, this is, this is a holiday steeped in tradition. Your friend is not part of the tradition. Mm -hmm. Do not bring them. Right. So despite the fact that Thanksgiving is founded on the awful colonialism that decimated the indigenous people of the United States. It has become a welcoming to all holiday. And that's irony for you. listeners. Well, and we're going to talk more about Thanksgiving on our next app. That's true. um, When I, when I will talk all about how I make sense of Thanksgiving. Mm. um, I look forward to that as a holiday of gratitude, as opposed to a literal holiday of, celebrating shit we shouldn't be celebrating Mm. so tune in next time (laughs) (laughs) but now i think it's time to bring us back to planes trains and automobiles Mm. yay no you know what you know what Mm. i am breathing into my resistance i am acknowledging that there is a part of me that has a big feeling around this film and that that big feeling is probably tied into something old inside of me. And also a little bit of what John Hughes made, but mostly it's something inside of me. And I'm going to radically accept that this film is useful as we talk about these topics for our listeners today. <sighs> I am now in my highest self. Please continue. Now, that was a beautiful example of where I was going because it was in exploring the idea of the journey as teacher. Mm. 
Mm -hmm. As much as we've talked about the benefits of being stuck, and there are benefits to being stuck, it's also just as important to understand that being stuck is part of the journey. And in both films, characters get stuck, and then the stuckness ends up being them getting rerouted. Mm -hmm. And so the journey that they're looking to end becomes longer. Mm Mm-hmm. And that is frustrating, really, in both films, right? In both Adventures in Babysitting and Planes, Trains, and Automobile, Automobiles, the main protagonists, they all, they want to they get in and get out, right? Like, Chris mm-hmm. is like, come on, kids I'm watching, let's go down to the big, scary, scary center of Chicago and save my BFF. <laughs> It'll be Why a, is she you know, my friend? We will explore that later. Right. Maybe in the sequel that never got greenlit, which sad. Um, but like she is, <laughs> Chris is very much thinking this is going to be a very short trip. Gosh, what? Two hours at most. Mm-hmm. And it, it's basically all night long. For yes. Neil and Dell, like they just, Neil thought he was just going to take a flight home. You know, mm-hmm. four, five hours, six, maybe tops, depending on roads and all of that. Mm-hmm. But then it takes him days and days and days to get where he wants to go. Mm-hmm. And through those days and days and days and motel after motel, <laughs> a car that gets set on fire, getting his credit card stolen, all these things, right? Mm-hmm. He learns about himself and he gets to grow as a person. That is true. And that is when I begin to like him more. Mm-hmm. When when he finally breaks down and laughs yeah. when the car is on fire, I'm like, there it is. There's the release. There's the letting go. Right. And then I was like, okay, buddy. Now, now we can travel together. Yes. Before but- now, we, we could not travel together. <laughs> And so that that journey acting as the teacher, um, another way that I talk about that with my clients is I call each of those incidents shittily wrapped gifts. You sure do. I sure do. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I, I paraphrase something one of our mentors had said. She called them... Poorly wrapped gifts. You know, knowing Patty was probably something like poorly wrapped gifts. But then, like, she told it in the context of, like, having to dig through garbage Mm -hmm. for these two gifts that she wanted. Um, And, like, okay, so probably we should, like, back up and explain that, like, this was something that, like, her dad did on purpose because he was trying to help her to understand that sometimes you have to dig through the garbage to get through, like, the good the good thing that you're you're mm-hmm. working towards or looking for right um mm-hmm. it wasn't just that she was running around digging through garbage um but my point <laughs> in adding this kind of like narrative color to this anecdote if you will was that it really felt like even though patty was not calling them shittily wrapped gifts to me it felt like that's what she wanted to say but she felt mm-hmm. that she could not because i don't know proprietariness properness <laughs> i don't know um yeah we're uh, we're more casual clearly <laughs> clearly um but the idea that our our best teacher is our mistakes our challenges mm-hmm. 
which nobody wants to hear. That's terrible. People are like, why can't I learn from doing something right the first time? Well, because what the fuck are you going to learn from that? I'm great. Don't change anything. You know? <laughs> like, the the thing with the horse. That was a shittily wrapped gift. Right. Um, and not everybody in my little group experienced it as a gift. They just experienced the shitty wrapping mm-hmm. and did not receive the gift. No, it sounds like they stopped at the wrapping paper and they were like, Ick, get this away from me. I don't want this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're like, I, I can't move the horse. This is stupid. I'm out. Mm-hmm. And like, but wait, there's a gift here. And they're like, eh, too much shit to deal with. I'm out. Um, and so in, in these two stories, yeah. they're, they're, they're shittily wrapped gift after shittily wrapped gift after shittily wrapped gift until basically your view on the world has shifted. You know, I wonder if this too is part of why you prefer Adventures in Babysitting so much more over planes, trains, and automobiles because Chris Parker, the Elizabeth Shoe character, mm-hmm. um, she is way more up for the challenge. Mm-hmm. And she answers the call to adventure pretty much immediately. Like every yeah. step of the way, she's like, let's do it. Let's open this gift. And that is not true for Neil Page. Like he is fighting the process. He is angry at the process. He does not want to be on this journey. So he is bad tempered and foul and rude and thinks he has every right to be because how dare his life not go the way that he thought it ought to have gone. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's very that's very hard. Yeah, that's that would be hard for me to sit with, mm-hmm. but that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. If we put this in a client perspective, um, Chris Parker is the one who's like, "Okay, there's a problem. Let's figure it out." Yep. I'll I'll do I'll do basically whatever it takes to solve the problem, mm-hmm. even if that means looking at myself and changing something. Right. Um. And even Neil, if that means no, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say even if that means I I'm gonna be sad and uncomfortable to to eventually get where I'm going on this you know spiritual journey of life. And Neil Page is the <laughs> client who comes in because he's part of the family. Right? Like he's coming yeah. in because it's couples therapy or family therapy. He doesn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. He makes it pretty clear he doesn't want to be there. He's not sure about any of this. He's very resistant. Mm-hmm. And I really, in, in practice, I don't mind resistance. I don't mind clients that are quote unquote resistant. I, I, kind, of, I kind of love clients that are, you know, a little salty. A little salty, uh, <laughs> but he's but but Neil Page was not my client, and so I no. couldn't have a rapport with him, and so I was just observing his saltiness. Sure, and <laughs> and having no effect. Mm-hmm. I f- I felt helpless in his situation. Uh, so maybe that was part of it that you you looked at him and you were like, here's a man that needs help, mm-hmm. but I am not empowered to help him because I am the viewer. Which 
uh, this is not where we were planning to go. No. But it does shine a light on lots of media that I do that I prefer not to consume. Mm-hmm. And that is and it is that type of media. So yeah. media where I feel like this person is desperately in need of help. And I cannot give them that help. So like Breaking Bad, can't do it. Mr. Robot, can't do it. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure I could think of other examples, but those are the big ones that people are often like, oh, Justine, you should watch this. And I'm like, no, thank you. <laughs> the Leftovers would be another one, but I can't imagine you get a lot of people coming up to you being like, you should definitely watch The Leftovers. No. 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 <laughs> but anyway, I mean, by the end of the film, you know, spoilers, folks, if you haven't seen it already. Um, but Neil does grow, right? Mm-hmm. Like he becomes a much more um, empathetic person. And he mm-hmm. really is far more in touch with his own emotions and the importance of family. And he really comes to love Dell which you never would have thought when you started the film. Like, he was just Mm -hmm. like, this person is the worst ever. Hmm? Yeah, so here we're getting to a literal plot point Mm -hmm. that bugged me a bit. Sure. Um, So I'm not even going to say spoilers. This movie's from 1987. Like, if you're not going to watch it, you're not going to watch it. Right. (laughs) Um... Is that Dell's wife has passed away eight years before. Mm-hmm. And I just, I didn't love the way that was handled. Oh. Yeah. I, eh. Um, I'm not entirely sure what bugged me about it. It just, it felt like an afterthought. Like, they kept showing us times when we should have seen it coming. And I'm like, I knew there was something up. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it felt a little heavy handed to me. It was like, so, you know, you really should love me, right? Like he couldn't just have changed and loved this guy because of what they went through. Mm -hmm. It felt almost like a, okay, just in case you guys at home didn't love him. He's a widower. Hmm. I mean, that's a, that's a fair perspective to have on it. Um, it will surprise no one who has listened this far that I did not have that perspective on it (laughs) (laughs) because the film really worked for me. Um, Mm -hmm. and we spent a lot of time this episode exploring why it didn't work for you. Um, (laughs) and I don't know, I don't think we've really spent as much time on why it worked for me. Um, no, we haven't. So why why does it work for you? I think I think because in my in my most prickly moments I like I feel a real affinity for Neil Page. Like mm-hmm. there are times in my life where I react I would hope not identically to him but like I have a very hard time as a person when a plan that I have goes awry. Mm, that is real. I get very stuck. Um mm-hmm. And feel I've seen it. You have, and I feel on. It feels hard for me to like be myself in those moments, like be with myself, let alone to be with others. Um, so I think I had a lot of like built-in empathy for Neil Page in watching him move through the world. Um, mm. And I don't know. 
Yeah, I don't, I'm not quite sure why John Candy worked so much for me, but he, but he did. Mm. Yeah. He was just this like sad, sad guy. I think, I think, yeah. And I think, I think like mm. the, I had that very, like a very opposite take on him. Like, because I remember mm. like first time I watched this film, I was a little kid and I remember even as a little kid looking at him and being like, he just seems sad. You were too in tune. Probably. <laughs> I was like, all this stuff he's doing, all these jokes, all his, like, do you want it? Do you want some gum? A Slurpee? Like, this is all, like, he's protesting too much. He's just really sad inside. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Well. <laughs> We made you sad. Yeah, you did make me sad. But it is okay because then he has a friend. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes about family of choice, which is really beautiful and one of my most favorite things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I'm glad that you shared what it is that is meaningful to you about this film. Um, because that helps me understand why it was meaningful to you that we, that we explore it this episode mm -hmm. and i hope i hope that our listeners at home are not just hearing what we say but the way that we say it mm -hmm. and the fact that larissa and i had very differing viewpoints on this film and through the course of sharing our internal experience i mean it doesn't make me like the film any more than i did but i can now understand what it is that draws her to it and that helps me understand my friend better. It's just another way that that fandom helps us to have real IRL relationships. That was so beautifully said. Thank you. This is not where I thought we would end our journey today, but I'm really glad that we did. That was lovely. Oh, and you know why our journey was such a good teacher? Why? Because there were so many shittily wrapped gifts. <laughs> Uh, it's so true, man. So, I feel like we can't top where we already are. No, so we I, should probably start wrapping it up. Probably time to wrap up, you know. So let's like hi let's highlight some of the uh, the gifts that mm -hmm. listeners can take home with them, the mm -hmm. elixirs, if you will, for those of you who are like hardcore Joseph Campbellans out there. Joseph Campbell's, <laughs> Joseph Campbellites, cups of soup. Mm -hmm. Now, now what I'm picturing is like the OG Campbell soup can, but yeah. instead of that kid on the cover, it's Joseph Campbell. <laughs> okay, Being so like a few eps ago, <laughs> a few eps ago, we talked about me on a Starbucks cup. Mm -hmm. Now we're talking about Joseph Campbell on a a cup of soup or a, mm -hmm. a old. Campbell's cup. If if somebody's into fan art, really, we would love to see these. That's true. And the holidays are right around the corner, folks. <laughs> you know what to get your ship crew. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so some of the stuff that we talked about today. Um, we talked about shittily wrapped gifts, obs, mm -hmm. um, and the power of fandom or fandom attachments, also known as parasocial relationships. 
um, the concept of the journey as teacher, which spoilers is actually, it's just the hero's journey, man. Were you? <laughs> yep. It's... Variations on one main theme. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also talked about... Um, Gina Grams, often... Murray Bowen. Oh. oh, Murray Bowen and Gina Grams. Mm-hmm. Somewhere there is a Dr. Anne Ramage. One of our professors mm-hmm. will be thrilled that not only were we listening... But we're sharing the gospel That's of right. the genogram. Oh, we're <laughs> preaching the gospel of the genogram from from our the papa of marriage and family therapy, Murray Bowen. <laughs> uh, and then we spent some time talking about the capital S self, the authentic or highest self, however you want to mm-hmm. use that phrase. But, you know. Which, which is a little bit of internal family system stuff. Mm-hmm. Noticing when there is a part, like the captain's snarky part that appears and snarks. And uh, when you heard me do that little bit of pause, what you didn't see was I had one hand on my heart and one on my belly. Closed my eyes. Took some deep breaths. And, and acknowledged snarky parts, thoughts, and feelings. And then found my way back to authentic self. And what does authentic self want and think? Because authentic self is the one who can have compassion. Snarky part can't have any compassion. Truth. And then last but not least, we talked about uh, radical acceptance today. Mm. Mm-hmm. Pulling in some tools from that OG fan fave, dialectical behavior therapy. Oh, yeah. You down with DBT? Yeah, you know me. <laughs> who's down with dbt all the homies <laughs> wow we definitely need to end there because it's not getting much better than that <laughs> uh what what fandoms did we talk about today spock um well we talked a lot about planes trains and automobiles and adventures in babysitting we also talked a little bit about um marvel's daredevil that was like a mm-hmm. blink and you'll miss it moment <laughs> um were there any others i guess like That's... we threw out other shows that like you don't like because you can't help the main characters so, like breaking bad mm-hmm. the leftovers mr robot but mm-hmm. really we really stuck to our 80s guns today yeah good for us um <laughs> one more thing we mentioned was equine therapy which is therapy oh. with a horse of course of course <laughs> We may be at the helm of this ship, but we know who really keeps us running. Thank you to Ensign Kyle Rebar, who composed our theme song. Thank you to Lieutenant Catherine Mandicat Duthie, who designed our beautiful cover art. And finally, thank you to our fabulous producer, Lieutenant Commander Brian Therens. You are definitely not a chatty Cathy doll. Join us for our next app on The Nightmare Before Christmas. How are you going to be okay this year? Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And the best way you can support our podcast is to subscribe, rate, and especially review us on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to tell your friends. And as always, live long and and prosper. prosper.